and welcome to this latest episode of the Engage Podcast. I'm Jamie. And I'm Simon. And today we have back with us director Gary O'Brien talking all about his new Star Trek fan film, The Holy Core. Hello, Gary. Hello. How are you doing? Good, thanks. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Thank you very much for coming back on with us again. Pleasure to be here, man. Yeah, it's, uh, it's actually lovely because um, we've had you on twice before. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Twice before, so we talk talk to you about um, your first fan film, Chance Encounters, and then when you were doing your Kickstarter campaign, uh, trying to raise money for the Holy Core. But it's That's actually it. lovely because this time we've because uh, when we interviewed you for Chance Encounters, it was like months down the line. But this time it's quite lovely because we're one of the first to interview because the um, the Holy Core was um, released only a few days ago. Um, That's right. And also, we just want to put a proviso of spoiler warning. Uh, we are going to be talking about in-depth and plot twists within this episode about it. So if you haven't uh, watched it yet, stop listening to this podcast and watch The Holy Core first. Yes. <laughs> right. And Chance Encounter. And Chance Encounter. <laughs> there you go. My long-winded introduction, everything I needed to say. <laughs> um. Yeah, well, first of all, Gary, just wanted to say, um, me and Simon, we, um, we've obviously watched it. Um, I've watched it twice, I think. I watched it a few days ago, and I watched it today, just to kind of refresh myself, you know, before we recorded. Um, we both think it's amazing. We both really enjoyed watching it, first of all. Um, it was so impressive, um, just the kind of the story, the production, the acting... So, first of all, just to say congratulations. You, you guys have done an absolutely amazing job on it. Oh, well, thanks, man. I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah. We've, uh, I was looking through the, uh, the YouTube comments as well, and there's a lot of people uh, commenting saying how great it is and all that kind of stuff. And it's, it's lovely. It must be kind of quite gratifying, all that hard work you've kind of put into it over the months and, and seeing it pay off so well. I think it's, it's a testament, really. Yeah, no, thanks, man. Yeah, people have been very kind so far in the comments, so that's always uh, that's always nice to know. So, yeah, 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 and it is it is quite gratifying. It's nice that um, people seem to be responding positively. So, yeah, it's good. Yeah, well, I think I think one of the things I think also it's the fact that fan films kind of I think we've discussed this briefly before, but kind of it's kind of been a bit of a change with kind of the way they've been done now and the kind of the expectations of kind of got a bit higher in terms of kind of you know the production and that kind of thing i mean kind of going off of chance encounters i mean did it kind of was it i mean i imagine obviously it was probably obviously really exciting but did it feel a bit daunting kind of having to kind of follow on from the success of that and kind of you know oh you know we've got to obviously you know make this you know uh, i don't know bigger or better or whatever kind of thing um <clears throat> no, I don't think so too much, actually. I think we kind of knew when we did Chance Encounter, we we were just sort of dipping our toe in the water and we didn't really know much about fan films. We we just wanted to make our own film and it just happened to be a Star Trek one and that was kind of it, really. But then when, when it came out and people responded positively to the first film, we were like, oh, okay, that's cool. We, well, we can do another one. We can we can unleash and like build sets and do a bigger story and, and go like more into it. And so I think we kind of felt, you know, you know, pretty darn confident that we could we could do something that was a bit bit longer, a bit bigger scale in terms mm. of the story and all that. So no, I, I kind of think 
I, I see it as like chance encounter was the like the the test, the little probe, and then we were like, okay, well, cool, this is viable. Let's let's do like a let's really put some some effort in. Not that not to denigrate our efforts in chance encounter, but you know what I mean. I think we just felt that we knew we had a, like a, at least at least one more good film in us when chance encounter was finished. So yeah. Yeah, I think it's kind of an, it's kind of building on, on on that success initially. It's kind of, it's kind of like oh, I've done this, you know. What else can I do? You know, how can I kind of challenge myself? I suppose a bit more. Is that you've got you're in your stride and you've kind of got that confidence to kind of oh, you know, well, we can do more with this kind of thing. I suppose, isn't it? Yeah, that's it. Yeah, well, I mean, we knew we were like oh, okay. Well, if if there's a bit of an audience for it, if we can, you know, if we can fund a, a second one, then we knew that we could certainly um, yeah do more with it. So. So yeah, it certainly was a challenge, though. I mean, that's definitely not an understatement. I mean, it's taken, well, I mean, it's, you know, I was going to say it's taken a year, but in, by some measures, it's taken longer than that because when we first started writing it and all that kind of thing, um, it's a bit hard to say exactly when you really truly start on one of these things. But yeah, it's, it's you know, it's pretty much taken, um, you know, a year for more or less full time effort to to get the thing from from nothing to finished. So it is a challenge. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yo. Oh, so you're going to say something? Um, I think you're saying in Chance Encounter that mm. it was a script that you modified into a Star Trek script, whereas this was an original Star Trek script from the page up. Did that? Um, I don't know where I'm going with this, but did it kind of change the feel of it going into it? Kind of going, I've got a set, a clear direction what we want to do with it this time around, or? Um, that's an interesting question. I mean, you're certainly right that Chance Encounter started off at, not with Star Trek in mind, and then when we realised we could could Star Trek it up, then we did, and we sort of jumped in, jumped in, and, yeah, with both feet. Once we decided to do that, but inherently it was it. I don't think anybody would describe um, Chance Encounter as like your classic, atypical Star Trek type script. I think the themes and stuff are on. But I don't think the actual kind of story we told was atypical. You know, it's not a ship rocking up to a planet with some aliens and a warp drive. And um, whereas, so we knew that a lot of the sort of the sort of tropes that you would associate with Star Trek were kind of absent from Chance Encounter, um, which isn't a, a fault or criticism of that film. I think it's actually kind of a, a good thing in a way because you sort of say, "Oh, Star Trek." And people go, oh, like Klingons, you know, nope, Romulans, no, or phasers, no, warp drive, no, transports, no, photon torpedoes, no. It's like, oh, so you haven't really got any Star Trek elements in your first film, and and we didn't, um, and yet people still said it was very Star Trek, which was which was great because I, to me, that felt like, oh, well, we'd really got down to the core of what the Star Trek is. It's not about phasers and Klingons and all that stuff. Uh, you can have a fan film that's got nothing in it. No, it hasn't even got any aliens in it. So, um, but then when we decided, okay, well, let's do another one, we felt confident that we w- would be able to get the tone right and tell a good story. But we said, but let's like really, really go for it from scratch this time. It can be anything we want. So we made sure that we were making it something that feels a lot more quintessentially like. A, a standard episode as opposed to the kind of outlier episode which I think Chance Encounter is, is more in the mould of. I thought it was interesting what you were saying to Matthew about the fact that because none of the actors were on contract you could kind of quite easily lose a, flu- lose a few and it wouldn't matter and it could have much more of an impact it was much more of a single piece rather than it being an ongoing story. I thought that was a very interesting thing to do and very um, 
very strong thing to very um brave thing to do yeah yeah that's right yeah well thanks i mean you know you know at the end of the day they're they're written to you can just do what the hell you want with the characters you know (laughs) they're they're at your leisure so you can you can clone them you can kill them you can not (laughs) use them at all you know you can do anything you want so it just makes sense is to to, in my view to uh uh, to just like r- ring, ring it, ring as much out of each of those characters as you can, and if that means some of them end up dead, <laughs> well then that's cool, man. Because you, you, you know, no point, no point not killing them if you can make it more dramatic and interesting oh, yeah. if they die. You know, and so that's what I loved because um, I didn't honestly didn't expect that. I was thinking, oh yeah, it's TNG. Oh, they will all come out of it because obviously you're saying to Matthew that you watch, you edit to some, you, um, you edit to some of your friends, and they, they thought the same thing. And then when it happened, I was like, I was like, oh my god, it just, yeah. got, it just died. It's like, but as you say, I think it's, it's much more impactful. It really has that emotional impact. Yes. Um, and particularly the way they went out as well, as you say, they saved the entire planet. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I just think it said it, and it, it said, it, and as you say, it is a fanfare, and it's like, it's not as though it's, it's on an ongoing season. So, as you say, you can do whatever the heck you want, and yeah. I think the fact that you've done that I think it's yeah it's, it's a brave thing to do and yeah. I think it I think it kind of raises the film onto a whole nother level kind of like particular you know emotionally and just yeah. generally you know it really and again I was said really surprised but it was I was impressed because you know sometimes you know you, you you know, you have these this trope of oh, you think they died and then they'll they'll come back like for a minute or two. You think oh right, no, yeah, yeah, you know. But I said you stuck yeah. to your guns. Yeah, no, that's it. I mean, I, I was also it's funny because you're right. I I had said previously that I'd watched it with some some friends, uh, a, a little screening, just and I knew they didn't know what the story was or anything. And I was watching it, and I could just sort of sense that they were assuming that they were going to get back safely through time back to you know and it would all be all right and i kind of i i knew that of course they don't so i was i was thinking watching the film with fresh eyes as it were like through their eyes by being in their company and i was kind of thinking man this film if they did get back that would be okay but it would be kind of like lame because it's only a 30 minute film um they're only missing for like half the film and I was like, well, it's I know it's like well, it's only like six and a half minutes left or something. <laughs> it's like if, if they just come come back and go, oh, whew, that was an adventure. It would have been a bit like, well, hmm, interesting, but it was a it it would have been a little bit of a pointless little exercise almost in some ways, I think, because it would have just been a bit anticlimactic. It's like, oh, and then they yeah. came home, and, and it's like, well, yeah, great. Yeah, and, so and, what? And you yeah. and you neatly avoided the cliches as well, which I thought was kind of lovely. Yeah, you know, cliche of old they, which again, it's nothing wrong with that. It's, it's fine. I have no issue with that. But again, it's nice, kind of. You have these expectations, particularly as it's like it's set set in the TNG era, and you kind of subverted those expectations. I think is in. It's, it's really impressive. Yeah, and, thanks, man. Because uh, it's it's kind of like when you watch an actual. I mean, obviously, we've seen them all a million times now, anyway. But when you watch a <laughs> TNG episode for the first time or a Star Trek for the first time, and it's like, oh, this episode. Beverly's got a love interest. You're like, well, I don't think this is going to last more than the episode. You know what I mean? <laughs> I don't think Jadzia is going to stay on this planet for the next sixty years until it reappears yeah. or whatever. So it's kind of like, you know, it, and I, I'm sure. And the writers of the show must have been frustrated by that because I, th- I think that's why they often said that the love stories um, that they did, because often you know, with that trope of you know guest love interest of the week. It, it, you're fighting that uphill battle constantly I think if mm. you're writing something like that because everybody knows this new character isn't going to join 
the, the crew and be a new regular every week no. and, and so and as a viewer you know that and so you sort of do this polite dance where you pretend that oh wow I wonder if Deanna's going to leave the ship for good and we'll never see her again and go off with this new generic man mm. or and then oh she doesn't and you're like well cool hopefully it was still an interesting episode <laughs> but it's not exactly a surprise is it you know so so yeah as like we said as we didn't have that limitation you know we we chose not to let it limit us you know so no and i think that's great it's a mark of good really good storytelling the fact that it said you know the audience builds these expectations and said you subvert them it's like you know and i think and again it felt and it and it wasn't and again it was you know it, it felt natural that that happened it wasn't oh let's just do this because you know let's just shock the audience it actually worked for the plot i think as well so yeah i said kudos to you for that really cool uh, thanks man and i think the fact that you care about those characters although i've only been on screen for what 26 13 half an hour mm. it attests again to your level of character development that you guys can construct because again it's the second film where we've gone oh my god that's incredible and it's to say the, the relationship between the two officers and you just go it's believable and it's like when they're separated it's like oh god oh, oh, hopefully they get back hopefully this thing and it's the way that you're able to encapsulate that in the space of half an hour and the last one 20 minutes it's just a complete and utter talent I, I say it's like we said it before it's just, just incredible like we wouldn't oh well thanks mate <laughs> <laughs> thanks man yeah i mean yeah but i appreciate that and i think you know i think the film certainly if, if that didn't come across then they would feel pretty flat i think so um because if you don't care about those characters it would be like oh great it went back in time grabbed this thing and came home the end and you know so what so so yeah i think and i think it's important because you have to try and make these characters seem interesting and i and not just interesting i mean rather that you have to believe that they're real and that you have to empathize and and I think you can't empath empathize with them unless you think they are real. Um, and I think you need so you need to think they're real and then you can empathize with them. And if you can't do either of those, then it, it's just kind of like watching something play out. You might as well watch a video, somebody playing a video game because it, it wouldn't have much more meaning to it. And so I think if, you know, I think a lot of that comes down to the actors because, and, you know, we try and cast the actors as best we can and get good people. I think everybody in the film is really good. Yeah. Um, I think Great. if the performances are weak, though, then, then you'll never connect with them because you'll just be painfully aware you're watching somebody acting instead of just losing yourself in the film. And like you say, it's only half an hour, so you you can't, you know, you have to be, you have to be uh, quite quite ruthless with what the character. You know, you really have to pick over every single little moment of it in detail before you like commit to filming anything. You know, when you're writing it, you have to make sure like, you know, we can't waste anything. You know, every moment has to be building towards establishing yeah. the characters and stuff and then the actors have got to be able to pull that off otherwise yeah it's just one way or the other some element will fail and, and it will just not be as good a film when it's all cut together and finished it will just be like ah the writing we wasted we just what are they saying it's stupid <laughs> or oh we cast it badly it's just yeah it could have been good but nah so hopefully that, you dodge that... enough bullets and it ends up okay hopefully <laughs> I think that may be the origin why I don't like most fan films. Maybe that's why. Maybe that's encapsulated why I have problems with most of them. That's why I love your ones because my brain doesn't have a problem with it. I just sit there and go, well, that's... Like, I have that initial five minutes where I go, this is a fan film. I'm not quite sure what I'm doing with this. And then I get into it and it's like, yep, yeah, okay, right, I'm sold again. <laughs> Sweet. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I think I know what you mean about the fan film things. I, I think, you know, like, obviously there's 
a lot of fan films out there and um uh obviously there's the notable you know exceptional ones like star trek continues um but broadly i'm not that and much of an expert on on all the other fan films out there you know i'm too busy making my one <laughs> to really know what the hell everybody else is doing um but yeah a lot of the ones that i have seen you know i i, I can't really get into them and i they're not my bag really um the only ones I really watched for actual enjoyment of Star Trek continues, and I thought Prelude to Axon I was good, but with that documentary <laughs> format is all quite different, you know. So it, it's it's cool and I like it. I think it's very well done, but it wasn't a hugely Star Trek. It wasn't a Star Trek episode in the way that Star Trek continues is or the thing yeah, tried to I, do. I haven't watched all of Star Trek continues. I did watch some of it, and I again I was really I really enjoyed it as well. Quite impressed with how they kind of captured the TOS era. Kind of I said like one of the things. You know, I think both me and Simon have been really impressed with is how you kind of capture the style and spirit of the TNG era. You know, I mean, was that, was that quite important to you, kind of making both of them? Yeah, 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 definitely. Yeah, because um, cause, you know, because like, if you didn't want to try and do that, then it's like, well, then just make something, just come up with your own completely fresh scenario, your own universe, your own, you know, whole new thing. So it's like, no, no, if we're going to. If we're going to say, oh, this is Star Trek The Next Generation, then it's got to feel like it conceivably mm. could be. Um, that's, I think, uh, another sort of, I guess, failing sometimes of fan films is I kind of, I don't know, the, the captains seem like a bit of a psycho or, or, or the crew are arguing or there's yeah. this. And I, I, yeah, I just think, well, it's, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm glad people make them and it's certainly not for me to say anything but in my personal opinion I, I i can't get into those i mean uh, the idea of expanded universes and the fan fan verse and all that kind of thing is cool um but it's just i just don't have the time to sit and watch and get into them but i think that uh yeah in terms of trying to make sure that we keep it feeling like the tng uh shows did then yeah definitely and so you know from you know trying to make sure that the costumes were right not just the star trek uniform or the starfleet uniforms but even what the the other characters are wearing, it's like, well, we you know we don't have budget, you know, for for everything. You know, it sounds like you've got a big budget, but then when you sort of go, well, we need to pay this, 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 and this, you're like, oh, well, that's most of the money gone. So you, every individual element still doesn't have much money. But so you know, you don't have a lot to spend on costumes. But I was like, well, you know, you just sort of think, and even like a little bit of research, because although I've seen these shows a million times, you're often surprised when you really go and look at guest stars' costumes. Um, you're like, oh well, I've seen this episode, you know, 50 times, but yeah, it's interesting going and looking at some random guest stars' costume and just getting I ideas together. And you think, well, okay, well, there's trends here. Like a big trope of the Star Trek costumes is that those Mandarin collars that they have, like the Starfleet uniforms, have them, and they're just they're so to a Western eye, they're they're like the most unusual form of collar, at least in my humble view. Like you, you very rarely see any like normal, like quote normal person on the street with a Mandarin collar these days. Maybe in the twenties you might have done, but they're just not. So they look Star Trekky. So then it was like, well, let's find existing costumes that have those Mandarin collars because they were popular throughout all the Star Trek shows. Um, you know, as as a sort of go-to thing, whether they were Starfleet uniforms or or guest actors, they were, you know aliens or whatever. It, and so it's like, right, okay, well that will feel subliminally. Not only will it feel a little bit alien, which is good, but it, it will feel alien and Star Trek Next Generation alien. Mm. So it was a double. And so just, yeah, like putting thought into things like that just to try and, you know, make it seem next gen. And of course, all this, like the sets were obviously all built kind of trying to 
make them as best we could do with what we had available make them look like tng so yeah very much at the front of my mind all the time trying to get the vibe of of tng man yeah i think one one of the things i, I find quite interesting between the, your two films like whereas chance and chaos is more like a, i said about a love story the holy court kind of said it focuses more on religion and faith what made you kind of decide to focus on these particular aspects and what was kind of like the inspiration behind that mm. uh yeah it's a good question <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I'm not sure I can fully remember why we decided to do it, actually. Um, I think, well, first of all, originally we'd been working on a, a different idea. Um, and then uh, Star Trek Continues put an episode out. It's the one with John Delancey in it. I think it's what ships are for. Oh, yeah. That. yeah. Um, and it's kind of to do with this planet where it's like, they, it's a great, they're, they're really cool, those guys who did that, because there was a, such a sort of, classic 60s not even a star trek thing but a 60s idea of like black and white on the planet um i like that but um but they're they're sort of as far as i recall at least now because i only saw it when it was new and i haven't seen it since but we were working on something at that time very early days of a draft which had come along uh, quite a lot and it was very similar to to what to what they'd done um we didn't have a black and white planet or anything like that but that the whole sort of uh, subplot of that episode is kind of like this migrant wave coming from a different planet I think um, and it turns out I think in their episode that the two people are related or or, or they're, they're sort of interspersed amongst them but nobody could tell because everybody saw in black and white and then it became obvious that like 50% of their population were these migrants that they don't like it was something like that their episode and our one was like oh man this is like we've <laughs> I, I wouldn't say great minds think alike because I don't know that our minds are that great but we were like ah oh, this is like annoyingly similar and if we make our film like this everybody will quite rightly say you've just watched that episode of theirs really liked it and copied it and it's like well we didn't copy it but we, we did watch it and we did think it was good so we were a bit <laughs> bummed out for a few days because I, I sent the, the link to Paul and I said dude you just watch this it came out today it's just like what should we do uh and he said, well, we can either just say, you know, screw it, let's carry on and we'll just say, you know, it's just a coincidence. Or do we just write off what we've already done and sort of start again? So obviously we decided to do the latter and, and started again. Um, so we kind of dropped the whole migration thing, which had been like the sort of concept that we were going to build the story around. And then, um, yeah, I'm trying to think how we ended up with the religion thing. I think I'd read a couple of books and stuff, and they were all quite interesting about and you know just broadly all discussing like the Western mindset these days and and people saying people who aren't even necessarily religious i mean I'm not religious myself personally, but mm. um a lot of stuff I was reading it was like you know as uh, the west um you know it is becoming more and more secular, and what effects is that having and d is there something? is there a value in religion which our modern more secular western mindset is is missing mm. uh, so it doesn't necessarily mean you have to go to church and pray or, or believe in it but it's kind of like all societies formed from like the mud and the squalor into what we have today and a huge part of that always was a church of you know whatever denomination or wherever you are in the world and now I think in the west there's a prevalent concept that we've almost sort of outgrown the, the silliness of a church and it's like, well, maybe we have, maybe we haven't. I don't know. But at the same time, have we? We've abandoned the church, but have we replaced it with anything? Mm. And do you need to? 
uh, firstly, like, I, I don't know if you do or not. And secondly, but if in fact you do need to, you know, in, in Star Trek, certainly the, the concept seemed to be, I think, I mean, they never wisely, I think they never really went into any real detail on it. But I think if, if pushed, they would say that people just kind of adopted art and science and exploration and and understanding and that kind of thing. Um, and maybe that is what you can do. But I don't think we at the moment have, have certainly done that in the West or anywhere in the world. I think you've either got a religion or you've got this kind of secularism and, and uh, you know, not on an individual level, but certainly as a society, it's yeah. like, do people, do people need some other element in their lives or do, uh, so that society can function well or not? And, you know, you know is, is there basically, I guess what I'm saying is, is there a, is there a, a value to religion that we've temporarily been overlooking because we think that, you know, it's just about silly silly prayers and things up in the sky and we've gone oh it's not that we've got science to prove that it's not that and it's like well maybe that's not really what's important about it maybe it has like a hidden or, or a different a different value that's not obvious to us right now yeah um and that, mm. yeah and that's one of the things I said watching that kind of um brother cost and commander boltzmann they said they were, and when they're in the shuttle talking about it and mm. he goes you know well we might not be particularly religious now but we still we still have faith and and I really quite like that. It's like, well, yeah, maybe 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 these days, maybe a lot of people don't go to church and pray, or maybe they don't maybe don't believe in God. But faith as a concept in itself, you know, hope for the future. Yeah, I, I, I actually I, I agree. I think maybe it is something that is overlooked. Yeah, um, it, it could well be. I mean, and we just want to sort of gently poke around at it and sort of show two sides. And and I certainly as well. I think what she's saying in that scene as well is that like. Although humanity kind of, you know, in the Star Trek 24th century, they certainly, whatever their view of it was, of religions were, they certainly didn't, they certainly didn't dismiss them. No. She says, you know, although broadly we, I forget what exactly what she says, of course, but, but I think the thrust of it is, uh, <laughs> is something like we recognize there's a value to it. Yeah. And uh, if we if we didn't do that, then that would be arrogant because it used to have some value to humans. And so how can we go and if we go, huh, but we've outgrown that, it's silly. You're not going to get on well with people you meet. Who, yeah. You know, you've got to, you've got to look at yourself, warts and all, and go, well, you know, six, seven, eight hundred thousand years ago, this helped us form civilizations which enabled mm. us to build starships. Yeah. So how can we go around and, and poo poo it? It's yeah. exactly it. And, you know, I said, even if you're not religious now, or you don't think much of it, and, but it, it's, it's, it's part of our past. Yes. and kind of as as you say they started the foundations of what we've got now so you know it, it's, I think it's important to acknowledge it at least and go okay well maybe you know this did happen you know I think I think um, the commander was saying oh you know on our world religions cause wars and things like that but at the same time it, it, I think even these days I think religion you know can give hope to people and comfort and meaning to their lives as well yeah, um, yeah, definitely. Know, which, which I don't think is a bad thing at all. I mean, me personally, I'm like you. I I don't believe in God, and I don't go to church or anything. But you know, I think I think faith is. In, I think you know, having faith, I think it's, it's a good thing. It's, you know, I think it's an important part of our lives. Which again, as you say, I think kind of gets overlooked. So yeah, yeah. I think um, you know, you you explore the issues really quite nicely. Um, and yeah, the whole episode, I think it's done really, really well. As I said, you know, you're not taking anyone's side. You're just 
you just you you kind of explore both sides of it quite nicely. Really, it's quite balanced, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I hope it is. I, I I think it is, and I do hope it is because again, yeah, it's we're not really sort of trying to ram some view down anybody's throat. It's just oh, kind no, of like no. yeah, it's just kind of sort of saying, well, you know here's two different thoughts about it and maybe there's there's a value to it which maybe the west generally is is increasingly not seeing mm. and you know if, if if we sort of walk away from the churches out out somewhere then that's cool but maybe you need something else to walk into mm. you know can you can you survive without a church it doesn't have to be a church but maybe you need something else to as a society to to rally around and i i don't know that there is anything else not in the real world anyway certainly in star trek there is so so oh, that's all yeah. cool we can breathe a sigh of relief about that <laughs> faith of the heart and the star trek religion yes there you go yeah. faith of the heart <laughs> yeah yeah one of the um other things um both me and simon really like actually i know you were initially a bit concerned about when you were chatting with matthew was the whole time travel aspect of the episode oh does right. it make does it make sense we think you've done a really good job of it and you know simon in particular really loves time travel don't you si? yeah yeah <laughs> yeah and you know i i used to be kind of a very again not against it but i just time travel is a tricky concept um you know and i've, I've gotten better with it and i, I think you get kind of the fact that as i said they went you know they were the cause of it which I thought is just, again, really quite cool. That's the kind of thing, you know, Simon in particular absolutely loves. Um, what's what's I, the phrase, Jamie? What's the phrase that always comes up? Um, that I always say? Uh, was it Predestination Paradox? Yeah. Right, yeah, Predestination yeah. Paradox, where it's like, that thing caused that thing, but it happened in the future, and it's like, oh, wonderful. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah, oh, yeah. we just so happen to have the solution hidden over on this asteroid. Yeah. Ta-da! We've, yeah, solved, yeah. we've solved the planet now. Yeah, yeah. We've achieved emission. Yeah, yeah that's no, a totally. lovely, lovely twist. Just kind of, yeah, we we kind of ruined this. Um, here, here's Olive Branch, and we're worldwide peace. Yeah, well, it's one way to end it, isn't it? You know. <laughs> <laughs> no, but we think you've done a. I think we've done. You think you've done. Uh, we think you've done. A, you did a really good job with that. Cool. You know, oh, good part. man. It makes sense to us anyway. So. Yeah, sweet. Well, I think it does. I mean, we've obviously picked over it, but. And, and you know, tried to make sure that it did, uh, but you never can tell. Sometimes you you, you you miss something. But I think it's quite good in that it, it. I don't think there's any loose thread hanging. Um, and also, I think that uh, like with a start. I mean, because you know, both of these films that I've done have had time travel in, and I, I think there's a school of thought out there that Star Trek does time travel too much. Um, I don't know that it does it too much, but I certainly don't think it should do it too much more. Um, and uh so so i am aware that like both of our films have got the time travel in but i think one of the reasons personally that i like using it is because it gives you the ability to make uh, a situation more dramatic you can increase the scope and the scale of a situation yeah you know somebody you know somebody can have an affair with somebody and find that's that's an episode of eastenders right but if it's a butterfly it, effect isn't it it's that whole yeah, but it's like, well, if you know, you can have it. You can tell a story about a man cheating on his wife, but if he's <laughs> cheating on his wife, but like he's doing it through time somehow, and it's it's it destroys his his wife over like her entire lifetime because he's been traveling 
you know it just makes the scale of it it, it expands any drama beyond like the the normal gamut of human existence and you can like yeah. make something much more dramatic because oh my god but it's gone all through time he's been cheating on somebody through it for like a hundred a thousand years somehow but it's only like a minute to him or you know what i mean and you just think well that's better than some bloke in a pub going you see my wife again i'll have you mate <laughs> you know what i mean so you, yeah. it's a great way of, of of upping the stakes i think yeah it's me of a future arm episode um one where fry goes back in time and sleeps with his grandma right okay <laughs> so, that that for that one. <laughs> yeah. so he's actually his own granddad which right is yeah yeah silly so it's that just <laughs> remind me of that for whatever reason but yeah, I, yeah. i've yeah. always loved time travel because it's one of the it's one of the easiest concepts you can transfer over to people and just go there you go they go back in time that thing happens then this causes this things in the future and it's like oh i get there as other things if you go full techno babble everyone goes Shoop, and you've yep. lost them forever as tech yeah, time yeah. travel it's not just stuck to a Star Trek. It's science fiction. It's a yes, yes. It's been around for centuries. And, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. The Time Machine and HG yeah, Wells yeah. and things like that. So it's very u- universal. Yeah, I think it's something that people. Yeah, it's it's yeah, it's it's something that I think the human mind can comprehend. Yeah. You know, it, it's something I think we like playing it. We we can we can grasp the concept of it, but we can't really get our heads around the mechanics of it. So I think it's imminently sort of interesting because you go, or oh, I in the future, like tomorrow, I'll get up and so well, I know tomorrow I will get up. Well, Lord willing, so, but uh, <laughs> so you can conceive of the future, and obviously you can remember the past, but but we obviously we can't, you know. Well, I, I don't need to explain that we can't <laughs> travel in time, but uh, <laughs> but I think that's why it's a popular idea. Yeah, more broadly outside of Star Trek and in, in science fiction, because there's something fascinating about it. That, and I think uh, at the moment there's definitely a thing about alternate realities and time travel and overall where it's a kind of a bit of a fad a bit of a bit of a cliche at the moment because you get programs like well we did have timeless you had man in high castle that's kind of coming to an end all in alternate realities all roll around time travel various different kinds and right. it's a very interesting thing because everyone's looking at the world going oh my god i, I don't really want to be in this one but let's dream about another one we? right it's trying to sort things out and it's a bit more cheerful Right, right. Yeah, I th- I no, think it's I that whole it. thing. Just like, so I think that's partly why, and I think that's how I, I love time travel anyhow. So it's like already sold as it is, but with it happening elsewhere, it's just like, well, like clever idea. I suppose. Yeah, I, I guess. Like, yeah, I guess it's like it's in vogue at the moment. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. Based. Yeah. Based on those shows you mentioned, I guess it, it is. Um, and I can, like I say, I can see why. I mean, certainly from my point of view, like I said, it gives you the chance to make things more dramatic than they might otherwise be. Yeah. But also. But uh, but yeah, also I, I think it's kind of I think one of the the good things about about the films that the two films that I've done is that the time travel is kind of it's not really the focus of of the story. Um, it's it's not like oh, there was that episode of Voyager where Seven is kind of jumping around the ship a bunch of times. Yeah, yeah. So it's not that because that's that's because <laughs> oh, that's God. that that's. That's about time travel, you know. Freak that, that whole Braxton's yeah, exactly. Um, or, or or cause and effect. Uh, oh, the time loop, you know, th- those yeah. ones are, are absolutely. Those episodes are about time travel. Yeah, new discovery um, episode as well. The um, season one episode as well. Oh yeah, the Harry Mudd one, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They're very much. This story this week is about time travel, whereas I think with our films, it's like well. The time travel serves as an interesting device to tell a story about something else. 
Mm. You know, yeah. the first one, it was, you know, this man, you know, meeting his, his old, you know, his wife in the past. And then this new one, it's a way to tell the story about the religion and the faith and, and yeah. you know, the fanaticism. And so it's like a vehicle to tell a, a story, but it's not like all hinging on. It, yeah. yeah. on. And so actually the time travel in our films has been sort of quite simple time travel. It's not these like head screwing freaking, you know. <laughs> Which is nice. Yeah. So I was going to say, I mean, obviously, you know, you've only got 30 minutes, but as you say, it's lovely and simplified and you know you know i can you know i can follow it and it's really quite nice you know i mean i don't mind you know time was more you know if it's more complicated but when you just get like loads of techno babble and it's just like what's happening what is this kind of thing it just (laughs) yeah it just messes with my brain (laughs) yeah 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 there's kind of like they can be kind of cool like concept ideas like there's a good film called i think it's just called predestination it's got ethan hawke in it i think uh, you might know that one, Simon, um, as, as a time travel guy. But that's a good film worth looking at. I'm certain it's just called Predestination. It's got Ethan Hawke. Um, and that one, I mean, I've seen it once, and I remember being sort of impressed by it. It's one of the, in, to my mind, it's one of the films that does really, really, really delve into the mechanics of time travel. It's a very technical kind of film, but it's also got a, a weird, I won't all go into it's got unexpected elements to it which you don't see coming but but that's a film that again very much it's it's there to discuss time travel and they can be really interesting but i frankly i don't think i'm clever enough to come up with a a whole like a whole sort of plot about time travel and the mechanics of it you know i use the word plot rather than story because i'm not sure there's really a story there but you can certainly come up with a like if you could sit down and map it all out you can come up with like some real head screwy time travel plots <laughs> I'm sure <laughs> uh, but uh, and I think in my memory maybe I'm wrong I should have rewatched it before I mentioned it but I think Predestination is one that that really gets into the mechanics of it because that can all be really fun but I, I think that that's more like something to like sit around with some beers talking about rather than watching as a film generally because yeah, I think you know the old thing is you know a film it, it needs to ultimately have a story and some character into it and stuff and with the exception perhaps of predestination that that film generally if a film or an episode just goes too much into the mechanics of it it's kind of like huh interesting little thought experiment but i don't really feel there was no humanity in there you know what i mean um so i think both have a bit of value but are the ones i've made certainly air on the side of like it's a basic time travel premise in the background so that we can tell this human story yeah on top and that's one of the things I love about both both of your films, the fact that, as you said, obviously I know you obviously you're you know, you're constrained obviously by budget to an extent, but you don't need phasers and said big fights and aliens and stuff to tell a good story. You can just have a human story, and you know some of the best Star Trek episodes are exactly that, yeah. telling story, telling a really interesting and very touching story that really moves people and yeah i think both charts and cancer and the holy core do that really well cool so, no, thanks thanks man yeah. yeah yeah no and that was always something i said as well about chance encounter and then and then this one too is like i think often with with the fan films as well uh, i think and perhaps to some degree discovery and stuff as well maybe but this always seems to be like very high stakes stuff i think the abrams movies were always i mean that's understandable with like you know a big motion picture event you expect it to it's inevitable you're not going to get some quiet little thoughtful film that's a huge global <laughs> cinema release not in a sci-fi genre anywhere in a big in a big uh, established franchise but um but yeah, the most popular episodes generally, if you look at the top ten lists and the top fifty lists and stuff, they're 
you know, they're, they're highly populated by this, the simple ones, things like family or the inner light or lessons or the visitor or city on the edge of forever. And they're all, you know, sitting on the edge of forever. I mean, it's like, it's not even set on the starship for crying out loud. I mean, it's just set in the, in New York on the back, like, you know, it's not even in space basically. Um, and yeah, it's like perhaps the best ever episode or whatever. And then, you know, the same with the visitor. I mean, most of it takes place in a living room, you know? Yeah. So, um, and, and so my, so my thoughts were always like, well, if they're the best episodes, they are frankly, especially if you've got like a very limited budget, they're the easiest ones to tell mm. inherently. Cause it, it doesn't take a lot of my like chance encounters. like two people sat in the woods. Um, so that's about as cheap as you can go, really. Um, and yet, thankfully, people go, "Oh, it's really Star Trekky feeling." And yet, I think a lot of times, maybe with like, maybe with Star Trek Discovery at the moment, and then and certainly with uh, I think a lot of fan films, they try and they try and make it all a big a big epic. The universe is going to end, and like real high stakes stuff with fleets and battles, and it's kind of like okay, they can definitely be entertaining and, and can work, obviously. And you need a, a healthy mixture of all the story types, but. I mean, if you haven't got any much money, then it's like, you know, just remember that you don't have much money and, and don't try and tell the sort of stories mm. that need a lot. Try and tell the sort of stories that that don't. And coincidentally, they're the popular ones, so you can't lose, really. <laughs> yeah, one, one of the things I also really loved watching it was actually, it actually reminded me of my very first days when Simon first got me into TNG, because TNG was the first Star Trek series I ever watched. And those couple of moments when in the holy call when there's a revelation and you have that the the suspenseful music and then the screen fades to black yeah you know, yeah, yeah. To a break it actually reminded me of watching through tnt when that happened i'll be like what the hell what's gonna happen next and <laughs> yeah yeah that just yeah was really quite nostalgic for me it was just like oh my god i just i literally got tingles down my back <laughs> had that nostalgic feeling to it of when i first watched through tng right sweet yeah yeah i mean it's funny isn't it because that kind of like and some when you watch tng sometimes they like hold those those poses for like so long like patrick Stewart on the bridge and it's like this like you know it's like he's just staring for like 15 seconds and you sort of think that must have been so sort of awkward in a way to film and not laugh or whatever the camera's like racing into his face and he's just got to like stare and look all dramatic for like an unnaturally long amount of time um, and so, in terms of like modern TV, I don't think uh, they would never. I don't think modern TV would would do something quite. I mean, maybe they will. I don't really watch that much modern TV, frankly, actually. But uh, it's such a sort of. I don't know. It's of its era. That kind of. We're going to the ad break. Big, big push in on the camera on somebody staring unnaturally long, and a fade to black with the music just ramps right up. Um, and so, yeah, of course, you know, we were talking before about you know making sure that it feels like TNG. I was like, well, you've got to put at least one of those in there because oh, they're, yeah. they're, you know, that that's TNG on a rod, you know, a big one of those. So glad you did. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Man. It was a lot of fun doing it as well, you know. We also had the reuse of the stock shot, didn't you? It's an external space um, stock shot. You also did yeah. that as well, which I loved as well. That's it's right. Like, yeah. How many people are going to pick up on that? It's <laughs> I know. Just like that trope as well. Like, yeah, exactly. Inclusion like... of the uh, cricket. A phaser pistol, which yep. I think we only ever saw in I think season one mostly. Yeah, I think that it still crops I up. Think a, I think it. I think you even saw it but... as late as like season four. I think Geordie had one in the mind's eye. Is that season four or five? I think that's season four. Yeah, season and, four. Yeah. Yeah, and Wes Wesley used one in uh, the game. Is that season four as well? Uh, that's early season five, I believe. Is it? Yeah. Okay. 
but yeah, so so yeah, I mean, they hardly showed them at all, did they? They were prevalent in season one, and then I think I think the complaint was you can't see the thing. <laughs> it just looks like they're firing beams out of their hands. Yeah, look kind of stupid. So so they phased them right out, or they phased them out nice. Um, but yeah, obviously they. Yeah, thanks, man. They did still exist though in universe, but they just yeah. So yeah, it was nice to show one of them. Well, and also you know, it's interesting you mentioned that because um, you know there was the thought you know because obviously the villain he he starts firing his gun around and it's like okay well I want our guy to shoot back at him. But I was like well you know it, it you know this is what I talk about is something about well um, you have to go through it to kick to get the vibe feeling right. We have to put a lot of thought into like okay well fine I want to have a phaser fight and it's justified that we have one for the story but where does the engineer get his phaser from and we're like huh well it just wouldn't seem right to have one just like he wouldn't be wearing one on his on his waist obviously because only the security guards ever yeah. do that or you know exceptional circumstances so we knew he wouldn't be have a type 2 on his belt or whatever <laughs> so it's like well is there really going to be a weapons locker like right <laughs> on that table like why would there be one like I don't think there was one in the one in main engineering and they probably should have had one in some ways because uh, <laughs> the amount of times people came in and tried to blow up the warp core so so was like, yeah and so it's like maybe a little bit of security would have been just one little weapons locker in main engineering might have been a good idea but they didn't seem to have one so whether it's a stupid idea or not that they didn't have one on the show so we can't really have one so so then it's like well yeah i guess he's just gonna have to have a a, a small cricket one a type one hidden in his hidden away and i don't you know that was the, the most elegant solution because we don't have the time to go into some convoluted freaking thing because it's like well 99% of people who watch it won't care about us going out of our way to explain away a phaser but at the same time if we don't put the back end and put all the thought into well where's this phaser come from suddenly then it, it just won't feel TNG it will feel contrived because mm. he could easily just grab just, just like grabbed a type 2 a big more dramatic cinematic looking one and been firing it but I think rightly people have been like oh that was convenient or oh, where do you get that from um, and it just wouldn't have felt very next geny, I don't mm. think. Anyway, um, and so you can still sort of question, like, well, why would he even have the Type One with him? But I think that's like, well, I don't know. But it's better than it's him having a Type Two. <laughs> it's yeah, exactly, I mean, it's more believable. When I was watching it, it never, it never crossed my mind at all. It was just like, okay, fair enough. So mm. you know, so yeah. Yeah, and, so and I, I suppose. Was... You, sorry, I was just going to say, and I suppose you could make the argument that uh, as a security precaution, it's like, well you know when we've got guests on board in sensitive areas of the ship you never know they might go crazy and take it over true yeah <laughs> so no, so so point, maybe, actually, yeah. yeah which lo and behold they were I right think that's the logic. <laughs> i think that, that is the logic they did use i think that's the kind of thing of it just kind of we, we want to be armed but we don't want to make it like we are armed. Like, it's the whole yes. point he was making the whole thing just kind of we, yes we do have these weapons but they're for defense than yeah. they are for attack and that's yeah and that's what they do and I think it came up throughout Star Trek uh, Next Gen in particular it's just like hmm well we'll just have these hidden away we won't tell them but we'll have these just in case yeah. we don't use them but we'll just in case because I think it's an unknown alien element isn't it just kind of they, they could be in it up to anything yeah exactly now it might I mean obviously we don't know from canon any of this but to my my mind is 90% of the time the crew are walking around the ship none of them are armed uh, yeah. I, to, in my mind so I don't think they've all got a type 1 on them at all times I, I think the opposite but I, but I think in terms of the scenario this little bit in my film 
I think it's a reasonable explanation to say because they had guests aboard in sensitive areas of the ship working the controls, they weren't like an ambassador that was just going to pop his head in and go, oh, isn't it bright in here? He was, you know, he was going to be working the controls and have control of ship systems. I think they said, okay, discreet uh, weapons to be yeah. carried. We don't want to advertise we've got them, but just be discreet just in case. So that's, that's, that's my take on it anyway. But yeah, dis- discretion is the key. Yeah, it makes sense to me. Makes makes perfect sense to me. I think that's a kind of good workaround. Yeah, yeah, I thought so. I hope so. I'm glad you think so. <laughs> I also love the um, CGI in it, and I also love the design of all the bridge and all the other compartments you design because I think it works so well with the Nebula class starship that it's all believable and seamless. You can, it's so believable that you can't tell where it ends and where it begins which is what you were saying in the lead up to it being released in all the behind the scene clips where it's like we've got this set of set but we want the audience to believe we've got a complete set here like the way you you, I think you did the view screen looking out over the bridge Mm -hmm. that looks totally believable and I know you only had the science station on the bridge and you know I can't see where it is and you know incredible Cool. Yeah. No. Thanks, man. Yeah. It was. Uh, you're right. We just built the science station. Uh, well, the I guess the engineering station at the back, like Geordie's station on the bridge, and that little bit of wall that goes right next to it. Um, that was all we built for the bridge. And then uh, a great guy, James. He has the command chairs and a helm console, which he kindly came along and and uh, brought up, and we set them up. So we had the captains. We had the three command chairs and a helm console. Um, and I built the kind of the support for the tactical horseshoe as well. I sort of knocked something up so that <laughs> so that we had that behind the captain's chair. But we didn't we didn't obviously have the actual horseshoe, but we did have the sort of um, the column that goes behind, directly behind the captain. Um, and yeah, with a bit of thought and forth planning, we were able to that that was all we needed to build um, in order to do the rest of the bridge. And then the rest of it was CG. Um, and I, yeah, I think it's. I'm quite pleased with it. I think it blends in quite well. Um, and again, my hope is, you know, I didn't. It wasn't relevant to the story to do like a big sweeping introduction shot of the bridge or something. It's like, well, we're just on the bridge. We don't need to like go. Wow, look the bridge. It's like if every episode of Star Trek made a big song and dance every time they went to the bridge, it would get old pretty quick. And so so there's never any intention of like oh i have to do this big grand shot at the bridge or be really complicated it was just like no a couple of a couple of simple scenes occur on the bridge so we don't need to reinvent the wheel or go mad here trying to yeah, just, show it just, all just use it just use what parts when you need to as that's necessary it to tell the story that's it exactly i was like well if i had a real say we were actually directed this was a real episode from the 90s and we actually could go on the bridge and film anything we want i still don't think i'd have chosen particularly different angles you know you just been like well i don't need uh, you know i just there's a guy at the back at the engineering station so i'll just film the guy at the back at the engineering station <laughs> you know what i mean i don't need to i don't need to go mad and show the whole set just because we've got it so so that was the mindset behind that <laughs> sounds like we got a little oh yeah sorry hang on <laughs> oh my end <laughs> Smoke alarm's gone off. I was going to say, is that a smoke alarm? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think someone's been burnt something, probably. Oh, dear. Sorry about that. <laughs> That's all right. Oh, had to happen whilst we were recording, didn't it? <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Uh, <clears throat> 
Sorry, can you still hear me? Yeah, yeah. I can hear you. Yeah. Okay. Oh, there we go. Sweet. Is it off? Yeah. Oh, it's fighting it's back. Going. <laughs> still going on a second. All right. <laughs> yeah, I think we're good. I've got it. Happy days. <laughs> yep, it stopped. Sorry about nice. that. That's all right. <laughs> it's always something, Jamie, isn't it? Yeah, always. Always is something. So <laughs> like making a film is like, oh, we just need it nice and quiet to record this dialogue. Oh, there's a crow outside. Oh, a car's <laughs> gone by. Oh, there's an aeroplane. Yeah. That actually happened when you were doing when you were filming like either of them. Oh God, yeah, constantly. It's a pain <laughs> in the ass. It's just all that ever happens. This is constant. Probably even ten times worse when you're uh, location filming. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. It's just even just <laughs> even just the high wind is bad. You know, it's just yeah, pain. <laughs> <laughs> was that the same location you used for Chance Encounter? Pretty much, yeah. Um, it's right outside my house, so it's certainly got the convenience factor. Um, <laughs> it's uh, yeah, it's a different. Uh, the the sort of ending of Chance Encounter takes place in very you know a few hundred yards away from where the planet side bit in in this film is. So yeah, they're very close. Um, it's it's great. It's a, you know it's a it's private land, but I I'm I'm able to use it. I've got permission and uh it's big and you know you, you could find somewhere more alien looking but at the end of the day when you've got a it's like yeah but we've only got a day to film it all when we've got to transport like four or five people out there and come back for lunch and have a toilet nearby and blah 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 you go yeah i think this is alien looking enough <laughs> you know <laughs> it's none of those things you know you i mean actually finally we're thinking about it we did originally there was that was supposed to take place in caves because that was something I, I wanted to include. You know, early on, you sort of think big and, and obviously you just whittle away things. And I was like, well, nothing says Star Trek more than some caves. Um, I think caves are in the show almost as much as starships are. There's like every episode has a cave in it, pretty much. So um, I really wanted to. a quarry. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so initially I was like well we we want it to feel like legit Star Trek so let's make this into a cave I forget how he was going to die if he was in a cave I forget now but um, and we looked at real <laughs> caves trying to hire them and like um, there, there's some actually only about half an hour from me but I, I sort of looked into it and it, they were going to charge us all sorts of crazy money <laughs> to be in there and it was just like no okay we, we thought about it but and then of course the idea of well can we like CG some caves like in a similar way that we did with the bridge like can we just build a tiny bit of cave and then expand it out and I sort of thought about all these things but ultimately decided it was just not worth doing I think it was also going to be on a beach at one point as well we thought that <laughs> might have a kind of cool vibe to it and we but I'm miles away from any beach so it would have been like it, it, you just got to you know when you haven't got much money you've got to make the choices and go well what's best for the overall film and in the end, you know, as always with anything, it, 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 you sort of end up having to go for the for the cheaper option generally. Just otherwise, you run the risk of not getting it done. It's like, well, we've got some great footage in some caves, and it's like, yeah, but you haven't actually finished the film. It's like, yeah, but I've got some great footage of the caves. <laughs> so, so you know, <laughs> it's a uh, normal niche, isn't it? If it ain't if it ain't broken, don't fix it. Yeah, it's yeah. That one. It's like well, last time. We might as well do it again. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Just, there's yeah, there's loads of class M planets out there. They can two can look the same. Exactly, and they frequently did on the show. They frequently look like freaking Bronson. Oh, Kent, the, so. the same matte paintings as well. They yeah, the right. Same one. Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like. Angel One looks like a lot of other planets. <laughs> <laughs> But but yeah, and uh, I, actually, I was surprised they never even just like flipped them. 
like they could have just flipped it like in a mirror mirror image some of those map things so that it was the other way versions they did change them did they i can't remember right they dressed up a few um i think they changed i think a couple of star bases i think maybe are you talking in next gen or in the original next gen yeah oh really i think you know you get this kind of star base one where it's like tower blocks on tower blocks but skyscrapers and then there's a few other ones where they've tweaked it where they've kind of redesigned them kind of thing they're oh, okay. kind of dressed it up a bit so at least right. I did that right yeah fun. yeah I mean, yeah it's one of those things it's like well I'm not sure if I if I like that they tweaked it a bit or not really I need, I'd need to look in and see how, how tweaked they were because that was because you know that was kind of part of the charm of it in a way wasn't it it's like oh okay it's that it's that map painting from season one and it's still rocking up here in season six or something (laughs) and you haven't even mirror mirror image flipped it which might so uh, it's funny i guess these are probably the conversations they had when they were restoring them like you know generally they were very respectful weren't they but yeah they must have sort of said should we tweak these a bit or not i'm sure it was interesting to be a fly on the wall and see who said what and, and but yeah as I've said to Jamie on a few occasions, there are a few special um, special effects in the original that I prefer over the HD modified ones. Right. There are a few scenes where I go, nah, I believe the original over the new stuff. Mm. I think as uh, the Murasaki Quasar in the Galileo Seven, I think it's that the new one. It's like mm, it's like it's bright green. It just looks it's like kind of lame, and I think. I think that's right if I'm remembering correctly it's funny I'm often torn between whether to watch the HD ones or not I mean sorry the um, with the remastered stuff in or keep it original I'm often like my default is to say no just watch the originals man but then for some reason I don't know why I feel compelled to look at the, the ones with the new effects in I don't really know why and but but generally I watch the ones with the new effects in and then kind of feel guilty afterwards that I should have oh my brain oh, I don't know what to do because <laughs> there's a few in next gen I, I don't like where they've changed them so there's one in Galaxy's Child where the junior's coming out of the baby mm-hmm. creature Ge- Geki and the remastered one it just looks so fake it just looks flat oh right and then there's a shot in The Wounded. Yeah. The shot of Captain Maxwell out of his uh, ready room window mm-hmm. with a great shot, oddly enough, of a Nebula class. Yeah, yeah. Brilliant. And then you look to the, orig- the um, remastered and it just doesn't hold up, doesn't look as great. And you just go, oh, why did you change it? Couldn't, right. you, just, couldn't you just cut it out and just log in there? Right. <laughs> Oh, so, they, uh, so it is actually different. It's not just it doesn't look good in HD. It's they've actually changed it. Well, some of them they had to redo them completely because the files. Yeah, aren't that's right. They could find and, the film. Yeah. Which okay. Is a shame, but yeah, yeah. You, you just sit there and go, oh, no, no, it's <laughs> not the same, not the same. And it's like similar, I think, with your original series, and you just go, I don't know why it's not the same, but it is yeah, the yeah. same. But I don't know where it's it's personal taste, but yeah, yeah. I quite like the remastered original. I just have a few slight issues here and there with next-gen remasters. I say, there's a few old scenes where I go, eh, no, no, yeah, I don't buy yeah. it. I don't buy yeah. it. I want original. Yeah. So, personal chase, but it's, yeah. But I say, with, and it, you also, with this one, you um, slightly modified the shuttle pod didn't you you so slightly modified that to have a bit more yeah yeah that's right because in in the first film we only like basically there was nothing well the the sort of dashboard thing extended out in front of the (laughs) actors but in terms of the 
the, the ship itself there was there was nothing forward of the front of the door um, so you couldn't really even film too much from one side or the other because there was no set there you'd have just seen the room beyond it so <laughs> so we built like the sort of triangular shaped bits at the front uh, built of like a you, you sort of don't really see much of it in the finished film ironically but I spent quite a lot of time building like a window frame around it um, there's some running lights under that um, which again you don't see that much um, <laughs> but the uh, it's the sort of the irony is that you say well I'll just build it and then when you're actually there on the day you're like well this is where the camera needs to go and you're like oh, I can't can't see those running lights and you're like well mm, you can't you can't like you got to sort of make the judgment of like well how egregious am I here do, do I do I literally do a, a camera angle that's probably not the best one just to show off the fact that I put some lights in or do you just have to bite the bullet and go no there's just not the shot you need so you know you have to sort of build the set with the assumption that you'll want to see you know you have to sort of say well build it as complete as I can so I can find the angle that's appropriate when I need it and sometimes it's a bit frustrating because you're like oh Christ I've built all that and it's just to the left of frame and it's like I can move it a bit I could but then you think well now I'm sort of I can't really justify story wise why the camera's here saying well because I want to see that in the background it's like well that's not really the, the right way to go about it. I mean sometimes you allow it you go well I could just nudge it a bit and then it gives it a bit more production value but you're constantly kind of like well yeah what side of that of that thought am I on here but but yeah with the shuttle we we stuck the uh the, the sort of sides onto the front and I, and I just did a lot to make sure that the um the, the dashboard thing itself was was sturdy because it was quite <laughs> quite weak before it was all sort of resting together and the lights would slide around inside it and so they're all that was that was I was quite pleased with that in the end it was it was pretty rock solid and you could pick it up and move it around and it would all sort of stay together and um and put a little screen in the little box on there as well that was before that was a lot simpler and there was nothing the actors there was like nothing on the side the actors look at um whereas in the second film you can because basically I knew we were going to be in the shuttle a lot more so I, uh, I knew I couldn't get away with just the same like three different angles that we need to do more so uh, so yeah and obviously I didn't have to build it from scratch this time so I could afford to spend a little bit of money just to make it a bit better and we put red alert lights in the back as well because obviously this was going to be a red alert uh, quite a lot in the film so I had to find a way of making some red alert lights so so yeah, oh, and the seats are different as well, and they're—I think they're a better match to the ones that we saw in the show this time. They're—they're they're black, and they're uh, slightly more reminiscent of the shape that the ones in the show were. Whereas before they were kind of grey and they were quite tall, um, but that was just happenstance. They just happened they matched better this time. I, I was at the mercy of the guy Keith who was lending them to me. He's like he runs a local garage, and I was like Keith, I need some car seats. And he's like, well, I've got a few hanging around. We can go up to the yard and have a look. And he sort of showed me like two lots. And I was like, that lot, because it looked better than the other one that was available. <laughs> so, but it was quite a happy coincidence that they were they did they don't look that different actually from the ones in the show. So I was quite pleased about that. I think with detailing, I think you're at the mercy of Star Trek fans who are oh, what's the phrase? Very difficult with it, and we'll give you like if you didn't, you wouldn't hear the end of it. Now that you have, at least it's kind of well. I did, there you go. I've done it now. You kind of you can't complain. Like I've done. <laughs> and I've done it as best I can, like exactly yeah, yeah. as I can. Just kind of, you, no, no, no. It's all there. You might not sell in the film, but it's all there. I, I, I did it all myself. It's, I think, because yeah. otherwise it's canon and kind of, you know, accuracy yeah. is. Yeah. Well, well, the good thing was as well is that, like, although obviously we're very much trying to make it look like the ones that were on the show, 
um, it would be a different kettle of fish if we were said this is set on the Enterprise and this is the shuttle pod Elbaz from this episode then it'd be like well the seats have changed but it's not this is a random shuttle from a different ship that's similar it can be as similar as we want but anything that's not the same it's like well of course it's not the same it's a different ship so we're kind of yeah it's a different <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> you know uh, like the ready room is, is is clearly based on Picard's one in, in general shape and form but obviously it's it's obviously consciously different as well so um so yeah you know you, you in that sense you've got free reign i mean i did actually look you mentioned the wounded a minute ago and that scene in the ready room <laughs> I, I did actually right early on i kind of decided on the nebula class ship as to be the one um just because it's it's closest to you know the the galaxy class one without being a galaxy class one um i don't know why it couldn't have just been a galaxy class one i just think i wanted it to look a bit different I, oh actually that's right because i wanted to stress i wanted it to be obvious to anybody from a glance that we weren't going to be casting an actor as it's captain not Picard. Ship, it's not yeah a... it's not a hero ship but also if somebody just sees says a star trek film that sees the galaxy class they'll think that, you know some people would just assume oh they've got their mate with like gold paint on pretending to be data and they've got some, you know, woman with dark hair pretending to be Deanna Troy. So I was like, well, if I said it on something that's very similar, but clearly not the the Enterprise, clearly not the Enterprise, then people will go, oh, it must be original characters just through seeing the ship. So that's why I wanted the Nebula class because it did that whilst being as close to the the Enterprise D that we all love as possible. So that was the choice for the Nebula class. Um, and then in terms of like, okay, so what does the Ready Room look like? I was like, well, I, I looked in the wounded when we see one and there's that ds9 episode as well i forget the name offhand where they go on one as well second sight second sight Fenner or something yeah unfortunately but but, but yeah like in uh, it was just obviously when they're trying to do it they're trying to build a whole like you know starship as a guest sets for that episode and and clearly the production themselves were like oh this is a stretch to to do a good job on this and so the ready like uh captain maxwell's ready room it, it's ugly man they use those sort of stock bits of wall that they use a lot um with those kind of ribs the sort of asymmetric ribs all around it which just don't <laughs> look like they'd be really difficult to actually build and yet don't actually look very nice wonder it's quite rare actually it's like i i generally love all the like berman era uh well next gen era um ship aesthetics the Starfleet look I, I just genuinely really like and yet the irony was I was like right, I'm going to build a ready room for a nebula class ship I was like right let's go and like dig out the wounded and have a look at what it looks like I was like damn it this is like literally probably the only example I can find where I go I don't really like the look because <laughs> it's just it's just ugly weird it's just it's not an interesting looking room it was just boring and so I went okay well fine I'm, I'm not going to copy that because it's ugly and, and nobody barely remembers it anyway i mean i had to go and look it up to refresh myself so i didn't feel obliged to be accurate to that you know maxwell's ready room so 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 then i was like okay well if i'm not going to copy that one then what will i when what will i do so i was like well it's you know it's going to be based on picard's one then isn't it it seemed like the next obvious thing i knew that the bridge would be um you know the bridge is basically identical um so i thought well I didn't want to have a fish tank in there because A, I thought, well, that seems like a needless complication, and B, and B, I rather, I rather think that that's something particular to Captain Picard rather than standard issue. So, so I thought, uh, well, what I was trying to do with that set was trying to make it so it wasn't just an endless series of walls, because um, again, Captain Maxwell's room it was kind of boring, 
and so every wall has kind of got a gag to it i think there's so you've got a wall with a picture hanging on it and and the door so that's not just a wall and then then you do have a thin sliver of wall but then the next little wall has got like the the light built into it the, those three stripes down it and it's like okay cool then the next wall is like the one with the big view screen in it and then the next wall is basically the replicator and then the next wall is the window and then the next wall is got shelves on it so i was like okay great what i didn't want it to look like was just flat boring walls kind of like maxwell's one did so so yeah um so and i thought well a replicator that's kind of easy well relatively easy to build and it looks very next gen and it'll be more interesting than just a corner and it, it's not a fish tank so so yeah uh, so that was kind of how I came up with the I don't even know why we're talking about this how we got here but uh, <laughs> but yeah that was the ready room anyway I think you explained it away by going all ships have interchangeable bridge modules yeah. and that captain decided to go for that design over one of the other ones seen in canon yeah i think that's how you explain it away by yeah people, if it ever comes up again because i say well one of the first ones so i think yeah no i agree with that. what the questions are and you can just go right there you go here's my <laughs> answer yeah no definitely you change your bridge module she chose it that's the design of it there you go knock yourself out and then you go into i wanted it like picards but not like picards it, yeah because it's, it's the same basic sort of shape it's the same basic shape and yeah we know the bridge is similar so um, yeah, it's entirely feasible to me that there's a few variations on the designs of that. So, so yeah, I, 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 I thought I thought it worked well enough. And con- got- coincidentally, ours, ours was cheaper as well, which is also just a strange coincidence, I'm sure. <laughs> she got Picket Utopia Panisha. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'll choose that one. I'll choose Catalog. that fabric. I'll choose that one. Yeah, actually, yeah. I seem to remember the last time I was on with you guys. I think I think I think one of you said that we should try and include the. Um, the uh, rock thing from Chance Encounter. I th- yeah, I think that's the thing I was going to ask it as well. It was uh, Easter eggs from Chance Encounter. Yeah. I, think I, I think I might have brought that up. Yeah, that's it. And and I, I still had the thing floating around and I was going hell for leather trying to get everything ready and finished for the impending filming day or days. And uh, I was like, I need stuff to populate her shelves with. And I was like, yep rock thing from the first film that'll do so so it did end up being in there on on the top shelf is the rock thing from the first film and uh some other odds and sods as well which i i managed to dig out um yeah because i said well i wanted because picard had that little shelf behind him but it actually when you look at it i mean it kind of looks a bit lame <laughs> it's not very impressive i was like it's fine for them because it's 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 in their actual set and patrick stewart sits in front of it so that's cool no one questions it but if i do that it'll just look really lame <laughs> so i was like well we need more impressive shelves than he had so then i was like great we've got some shelves that are a bit bigger and beefier looking I'm like what are we gonna put on them so like, she needs to have some like, interesting stuff um and it it really was just like look, look like literally just standing in the living room looking around going what have i got that i can just that, that's like not woefully inappropriate so she <laughs> what did she she had uh she had a photo frame of of our dog um so so that was nice she's got a pet dog that looks just like our one did uh she's got a, like, a little wooden trinket box thing she's got uh this mask that my girlfriend at the time she had this mask thing that she'd had for years so i thought oh, that looks kind of cool and it was quite big as well it took up space which is a plus <laughs> the, uh, the rock the rock crystal thing um and then she's got what she got oh yeah the, <laughs> I didn't even realize that this is a joke until, but basically I was looking around my fireplace and I had like a few bits of firewood, a few like logs for the fireplace. I was like, can I get away with like having like just a bit of random firewood? 
as as an ornament on the captain's thing and i was like well i don't know maybe maybe not it might look a bit lame so i just got some red spray paint and like sprayed it red and i was like yep it looks a bit more well it looks a little bit less like a freaking bit of firewood now so that became uh, another ornament and then one of the actors arjun who was plays the engineer he saw it and he was ah like, oh, that's the captain's log I was like, yeah, I suppose it is. I actually hadn't thought of that, but yes. <laughs> the captain does actually have a, a captain's log on her shelf behind her, which is kind of stupid. And uh, and then she had two two decanters of drink. She had one of them's got uh some like cold tea in it, and the other one has got Mr. Muscle. Because uh, <laughs> every, everything was just looking like everything just defaults to this kind of like brown colour. There's other water in it, so well, you can't see it. Uh, and we didn't have any orange juice and we'd already used tea so and we were looking through the cupboard in the venue and they had like cleaning products in there and somebody's like this was like a load of like Mr. Muscle and it was bright green <laughs> oh, yeah, that'll do let's pour some Mr. Muscle in the thing so let's keep reminding everybody that it had freaking bleach <laughs> toxins in it and not to drink it so, <laughs> so yeah the like... captain had a strange collection of stuff behind her that's for sure it sounds like those um, like pots in sick bay they had throughout the oh, yeah. whole of next yeah, yeah. gen that were, were just red there ones. just for decoration. Just yeah. like, cause I think wasn't it? I think it might have been. Um, oh, why am I not feeling Gates McFadden? I think she throughout most of the filming going, "What are they all about?" And yeah. they found directors trying to go, well, "We're going to try and make a thing of this. Let's try and use them." And so it's your, I think it's your homage to that kind of thing. Yeah, just like Maybe random. Maybe just kind of or just fill yeah. bottles with things and yeah. it will look spacey enough. Yeah, just, exactly. Why not? Just <laughs> can't have any can from your from your homes that do nicely. Yeah, exactly. Just you like, can look. have your own with Mr. Muscle. Yeah. <laughs> just don't don't drink it. <laughs> and make sure you wash it out like that decanter out like really thoroughly before you fill it with whiskey again, you know <laughs> when you get home. Um we already know that Matthew asked this on Trek Zone about, and I know it's very, very early days, and it's all, and you've been asked this already. What are the chances of a third one? Ah, yes, a third one. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, and I have some more ideas. Oh wow! Um, <laughs> there's there's a whole galaxy of ideas out there. Whole yeah. galaxy, man. Um, has it got caves in it? No. <laughs> oh damn it! Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't really know at the moment. I, I need to just uh, have a, a little see bit how this one goes before you decide. Yeah, that too, I guess, actually. Yeah, yeah think, certainly. That's sort of what I think you said after we had a chat about Chance Encounter. It's like, eh, maybe, maybe not. Mm. And then it's like a year later, and yeah, we're doing it. Yeah. So yeah, I think yeah. maybe give it a year once you see what you've how the thing's fine, gone after yeah. a year. Yeah, yeah. I mean, also, I mean, another thing is I, I, I feel that... Um, I, if if I do do another one, certainly this is how I feel at the moment, and obviously it could change. Yeah. But um, you know, I might just get sort of the urge again and and go for it. But at the moment, I kind of think it needs. If we do another one, I, I probably need like more resources again to do yeah. a better job. And and I I, I don't. It's a lot of work, and I think I, unless it's going to be like noticeably a, a notch up in like production value and the resources we've got. Because, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm proud of it and I like it and it, I'm glad that people, you guys and other people on YouTube now seem to, seem to, you know, think highly of it and say it's quite good and they enjoyed it. So that's great. So that's mission accomplished. But, you know, it's still, it's far from, like, an exact replica of a next-gen episode. So, that you know, there's lots of things, a lot of technical things that, you know, I would like to improve on it if I could. 
and it all just comes down to of course budget and resource um yeah. and you know we you know we were good that we got this one funded i mean it was it was great um but there's a difference between it being funded and then it being like wow you know we can you know we can hire a like a pro crew and like get you know anamorphic lenses and film it in 8k on red cameras and dps and you know we, we you know we, we got enough money to Dream make scenario. it yeah exactly and you know and i'm not saying it needs to go like ridiculous to that level um shooting on 35 mil or something but at the same <laughs> time I, i'm kind of like i, I do at the moment my my thoughts are like if if i was to do another one i'd i'd want to make it like a step up from this one because this i think is in terms of its scale it's you know it's 10 minutes longer it's got the sets and it's a, a more ambitious story with more locations and you know more going on so this one was certainly a step up from the first one and then i think like i think i've pushed doing it you know and i have had help clearly from from a few people but you know it, it's largely it's a one-man effort you know it's like 90 percent of this i've sort of done myself and so it's like well that's a big commitment it's a lot of work it takes over a year to do it yeah i, I think if i was to do another one i'd want to get i'd want to team up there to yeah I'd, well i just the... want to i'd want to get it yeah i'd want to get have a, a better looking finished film at the end for, for for my year's worth of investment and yeah. that would mean just you know more resources which frankly means you know money essentially <laughs> yeah. uh, you know because everything stems from that the yeah, time the available does yeah yeah that's that's the t the top of the the tree is the money and then and that gives you more time to rehearse more time to cast more money for sets bigger crew and stuff so so my current feeling you know as of you know right now today is yeah. that another one needs to expand otherwise it just feels like a step sideways rather than a step forward so but you know who who knows that can all change of course but that's certainly my view on it right now do you have um, any future projects any other kind of stuff that coming up that you would like to talk about or anything uh no thanks for asking but you know what i really don't at the moment i've just uh it's just been quite a break yeah. i think jamie i think that's kind mm. of yeah what's in order i think so. oh yeah i mean i do have a, a couple of sort of <laughs> like distant thoughts of what might be fun to do i mean this this is i'm happy to say because there's you know there's no even idea of whether i will be doing anything next so certainly i'm happy to put some like rough ideas out because it, it could all change but i i kind of like the idea of doing something um how would you describe it I'd, uh, like a comedy or something that's uh, overtly comedic um that like I, I really like the '60s aesthetic in TV, um, so I like the idea of doing something which isn't necessarily set in the '60s, but just has got like computers that are basically just huge boxes with thousands of tiny flashing lights on and reel-to-reel -reel tapes in the background. And I, I kind of like the idea of some sort of '60s throwback comedy <laughs> type thing that would pay homage to lots of different genre things from any anywhere from the 60s right up to today but probably older stuff because i seem to be stuck in old school sci-fi and cult tv so um so yeah i mean that's a very sort of broad sort of very very distant back of my mind kind of idea about what could pot potentially be something i do at, at some point if, if it wasn't another star trek thing but yeah whether or not anything happens at all certainly what it would actually be i can't really say at the moment but yeah it sounds interesting anyway yeah well thanks man yeah i mean i i kind of like the idea of doing something that's just yeah um kind of just fun and kind of a little bit silly and just like just lots of 
sort of layers of of kind of I mean kind of in the way that that sh- uh, that show spaced and um, and uh, like the Simon Pegg films. It's funny actually. I, I used to like Simon Pegg when he was in Big Train and going like way back. And then everybody just loved Spaced so much, and I just kind of refused to watch it, and still haven't seen it. But <laughs> but but I know I know I know what it's broad. I know the broad strokes of it, and so something kind of something sort of that sort of refers to other stuff and plays lots of homages and stuff. Some some subtle and some overt, and but with a sixties aesthetic appeals to me for some reason. Um. So yeah, but I mean broadly, that's a kind of just a, a back of my mind thought. But who knows? Who knows? Who knows? I just want a break at the moment. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> just a little, a little break for just a few minutes would be nice. <laughs> I'll tell you all when I've come up with something, but I'm just a break at the moment. Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. I've, like, I think it's like you're gonna get this for the next couple of months. It's like I think, I think in your head, it's like I've literally just finished this one. I haven't thought about the next one yet. I just give like me yeah, yeah, because like... <laughs> yeah, it is, it is think... a big big effort to get these things done you know i think just the thing is we know that audiences ask it we want to ask it and i think otherwise again i think you wouldn't hear the end of it otherwise if yeah yeah ask it so yeah 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 unfortunately but i I you say that's why we do general interest ones because i think it just shows that there's a different side of our personalities not just star trek on its own there are other things that we're into and i think Sometimes you just have to refresh your mind a bit and go, I want to do something a bit more fun, and then that may spur you on something that's spur you on to another one, maybe. I don't know. Maybe it just, we just go, God damn it, this is my thing. I want to do what I want to do. You guys can enjoy it, or you can wait until the next thing I do. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, you, you obviously you want people to, you want it to find an audience and for people to enjoy it, but you don't want to sort of end up being held hostage to sort of like, oh shit, I have to do a Star Trek thing. <laughs> But then, you know, by the time you have a rest and, you know, you start getting the itch to do something again, the good thing about a Star Trek thing is you know it's going to have a bit more of a built-in appeal to a broader audience than it might have done if, if you do just come up with your own thing, you know, so. Hello, back again. Hello, I thought I saw that you'd popped off. <laughs> yeah, my computer, it was trying to update again. It's like, Ugh. no, I don't want to do this now. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Uh, Sorry about that. Yeah, no worries. <laughs> just literally froze. I was like, no, 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 not now, please, not now. <laughs> oh dear. Oh, actually, I can see you now. It looks like you're in like I've got terrible night vision goggles on. Oh yeah, my <laughs> lights off at the moment. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a black screen. I just see a tiny little bit of movement. Like, yeah, like I've got on. my five pound ninety nine night vision goggles on. There we go. There we go. Hello. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> Uh, there oh, we go. Man. Yeah, so, sorry, so what were you guys talking about before I, I <laughs> went off air? Oh, we were just saying how, um, yeah, you know, you got to, if, if you've got an, an idea for another project, then you kind of need to do what, you know, what you want to do rather than, so that you, you don't want to sort of feel forced to, to do Star Trek stuff if, if you know, just, just to do Star Trek. Mm. So, but on the other hand, you know, I, I do quite like Star Trek, so... <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, if if any if if there's a next project, then it's sort of open, open season on on whether it would be Star Trek or not at the moment. But can I at least give you an idea what, what yeah. I suggest? Yeah, yeah. yeah. What I would love is obviously the new crew that you had in um, the Holy Course. Sorry, I went my arm blank there. They've lost a couple of well, they lost a crew member. Mm. So wouldn't it be plausible that they have a replacement, maybe from a ship from? 
previously seen in, I don't know, Chance Encounter. Could work. Maybe you could have a crossover with both yeah. set casts. Could work. Could Maybe. Work. Yeah, you could get... Um, it'd be cool to bring Emily back. She was Ensign Carver in um, Chance Encounter. Maybe. Um, she could be... No yeah, whether or not she'd have gone from Ensign to First Officer that quick, I don't know. Seems... Yeah, well, you do the only cinema a, thing. You yeah, set only, it slightly more in the future yeah, and yeah. just go, there's been a time jump. Yeah, or yeah, because only Abrams Kirk can go from Ensign. To, I mean, yeah, going from going from <laughs> going from Ensign to uh, Commander is pretty easy compared to Cadet to Captain. So he's got like two extra ranks, one on either end of it. <laughs> she didn't. So yeah, you could possibly do that. Yeah, I mean, I must admit, my my feeling is that I like I generally kind of want to just write new characters to fit yeah. whatever story you have. Um, because like we were saying way back, it's kind of like, it's not like, oh, we've come up with seven characters and we have to keep finding ways to shoehorn them into a new episode each week. So, but on the other hand, you know, people do like these films, it seems. And so I guess they like the characters. And so it, it, there's a temptation to sort of get the people back if they're up for it and, and, and do more with them. But my, my, my sort of instinct is that if we did another one we would probably just come up with a whole fresh slate of people and new characters and new actors just i don't know you just look at each one as a new thing then yeah but, i can but, understand that it was yeah. just an idea just like yeah well it would definitely work you're but... right they're, they're 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 one down now and so that somebody's gonna have to step in so or I even can understand that though but yeah. it's just just some chap going that's an idea but it's your baby at the end of the day yeah yeah well of course the and because the, the other thing is is that we don't really have any of those sets anymore they've all been smashed <laughs> up and destroyed so it would seem sad to just try and like rebuild those same yeah. sets. <laughs> so why don't we build <laughs> something new and it's different looking if we were going to do all that so they maybe they've just been re reassigned i mean if it, if anything you'd probably get somebody back maybe get alexa as who was the captain and maybe she could be on a new ship with a new whole new crew or or she, you know something but uh, i don't know. and to be honest i think there's even these i mean i don't know that cbs really cares that much to be honest about the, the real ins and outs of these guidelines but i think technically you're not allowed to reuse we've had our 15 to 15 minute parts we've had our full half hour and i think there's all these rules about you can't reuse characters off beyond that i mean <laughs> honestly i don't think cbs is could care less but technically again you have to be respectful of those guidelines at least mindful of them you know so if you were going to do that you'd have to think well you're opening yourself up to a potential yeah thing there but i mean honestly you wanna it, yeah it's out. like you don't want to tempt fate but on the other hand i honestly don't think i can't imagine <laughs> they would care one iota but on the other hand they cared enough to write it all down and put it on their website so you know <laughs> you can't really tell can you so so yeah so um any other questions you want to ask site not really well you've been off so if you Anything come to mind? Uh, no, I think I've asked all the questions I wanted to yeah, ask. No, I think... thought of, so. Yeah, nice but, um, one. I think we covered quite a lot, actually. It was cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but um, yeah, thank you very much for coming on, Gary, for taking yeah, the time man. to come on and chat to us. And yeah, um, we'll make sure to put, obviously, um, the Holy Call, the link in and our blurb as well. Yeah, so, yeah. So, guys, do check that. And obviously, if you haven't already, check out Chance Encounters as well. Both really amazing Star Trek fan films. So, yeah. So, uh, yeah, we'll obviously um, be back with another episode, guys, soon. So, bye. Bye. See ya.